Bonsoir, 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 monsieur, monsieur, il pleut, il pleut. Hello, and welcome to Death of a Thousand Cuts, making you an awesome writer one cut at a time. My name's Tim Clare, and every episode I'll be looking at a first page of a novel or short story written by one of you. Yes, one of you. And I'll say some nice things about it, and I'll say some robust, forthright things about it too, but out of love, my dear friends. Out of love. Guess what? I'm going to be a dad. I know, crazy, right? In a few short weeks, I'm going to be a dad. And I have no idea what it's going to be like. I don't like talking about it too much because, one, I hate cliches and it's very difficult to talk about parenthood without immediately straying into a minefield of horrible exploding cliches that turn any discourse into steaming hackneyed mints. And and, and also because I don't want to bore people. But to be honest, my emotions have been going crazy the past few weeks. They do anyway. I'm a very neurotic character. But in particular, in the last few weeks, because... I feel like I'm strapped into the dropship, ready to start the descent through the atmosphere from orbit, and I've got no idea what to expect on this planet. It might be a planet with a corrosive atmosphere and 60-foot-high carnivorous salamanders, or it might be a second Eden. Although bear in mind that Eden also ended really badly, right? And look, because this is a writing podcast, I have to find some way of, of making all my life experiences a metaphor for the creative process. So, here goes... Starting anything new is scary, even if you wanted it for ages, especially if you've wanted it for ages. It's hard caring about something. Sometimes you don't feel like you've got the right. What if you mess it up? What if you're just not the right person to do it? Why do other people seem to find it so fucking easy? And the answer, maybe, is what else were you going to do with your life, mate? Play Pokemon Go. You can do that too, but this story you've got inside you, this tale you want to tell, this person you want the world to meet, they need you. They can't exist without you. And what I want to suggest to you is, who are you to decide that the world doesn't need your story? Maybe it's going to bring joy to someone. Maybe it's going to save someone. Maybe it's going to change something. Who knows? But one thing's for certain. Embrace your creation. And it will definitely change you. Right, stick around to the end if you want details on how you can submit your own work. A text version of this extract is on my website, timclairpoet.co.uk, as well as loads of other episodes of this very podcast. This piece is untitled, and it's by Caleb. Thank you very much for submitting, Caleb. The final notes of Born in the USA faded into silence at the perfect moment, just as I pulled my battered silver car up to the security checkpoint. The sun had just risen over the horizon. That's a good sign, I thought, as I rolled my window down. Maybe today won't suck after all. Hey there, Theodore, the guard on duty greeted me. Have a good weekend. Too embarrassed to admit I could never remember his name, I did my best to make the conversation brief. Sure, pretty good. He didn't raise the gate, so I endeavoured to be polite. So, how's it going with you? Same as yesterday, he said with a wry smile. And the day before that, and the day before that. Not much excitement, huh? I said, tapping a finger on the steering wheel. That's it, Theo. Can I call you Theo? I'm going to call you Theo. See, when I transferred over here, they acted like it was a big deal, like I was climbing the ranks. He chuckled and shook his head. But look at me, stuck in a tiny little shack out here in the middle of nowhere, most likely the only one stupid enough to accept the job. I cleared my throat. Well, and who am I guarding, he continued. Bigwig politicians, world-famous rock and rollers? Nope, just a bunch of kids. Yeah, but... Kids, Theo. I waited. 
but the rant had concluded. He pushed a button and the gate began rising up. I was just about to floor the accelerator, but before I did, I leaned out the window. The guard shot me a questioning look. They're not just any kids, I reminded him. And here are my thoughts. The final notes of Born in the USA faded into silence at the perfect moment, just as I pulled my battered silver car up to the security checkpoint. No. No, no, no. Absolutely not. I get one veto per quarter and I'm dropping it here. Seriously, if I were an agent, this line would be a hard pass. I'd be passing so hard you'd think I was shitting a spike mine. If that sounds like I'm coming on too strong, then Caleb, please remember this is in no way a judgment on you as a human being. You're inherently valuable. Your writing has no bearing on that. And writing, of course, is improvable. We can change it. We can delete bits. So I'm not criticising some immutable part of your creative character. But a lot of time we're not honest, are we? And every time a dear friend gives us straightforward feedback on our work and we kill a bad bit, the mean quality of what's left jumps up. So I hope you take this as the kindness it's intended to be when I tell you, dear friend Caleb, that you are a wonderful person, but this opening sentence is terrible. Me pourquoi? Excellent question, mon ami. Pay close attention. You are writing a novel. I know that's a piercing insight for me. You can tell I'm a little bit of an expert. I'm published, don't you know? But look, you're writing a novel, not a screenplay. I worked as a manuscript consultant for a decade, read literally hundreds of unpublished novels, and you, you develop a sense of whether a novel's going to grab you or not. You start to recognise small signs that almost invariably presage bigger, more fundamental flaws later on. Now, Agents and editors usually think of this as expertise, but of course it's a form of prejudice, basically. It's a time-saving measure. You're looking for reasons to say, fuck off, I'm going to hate this, because if you can find them in the first page, you don't have to read 140,000 words of absolute dog shit for no financial reward whatsoever. So often on this podcast, I'm, I'm trying to replicate the critical inner voice of a busy agent or editor who's pressed for time and has just had your first chapter pop into their inbox. Not because I think getting published is the be all and end all of writing. It's really not, although it's one nice way to get some dollar for your work, but because then we're holding our work to the highest standard, which I know you can achieve, Caleb. You love stories. You love the world. Your heart is open to wonder. Bam, that's all you need. The final notes of Born in the USA faded into silence at the perfect moment. No, piss off. I don't suggest a soundtrack to your prose, however winkingly. You're evoking one of the weakest parts of the written medium. If this were a film, you could license the song and have it playing in this opening scene. Yes, I know there are some issues with permissions for songs. Just run with this for a second. And it wouldn't matter whether the audience knew the song or not because the movie would be projecting the actual song directly into their brain via sound waves. They'd hear it and they could be the ones to think, oh, how apt and revealing that it was playing just as he pulled in. This tells us something about the driver. But in a book, alluding to songs or quoting lyrics is almost always bad. It largely just points to the fact that prose is a shit way of evoking music. If the reader doesn't know a song, you can't just describe it to them. Well, you can. A haunting refrain seeped from behind the chapel door. But then, even then, it's basically bollocks, isn't it? That is crap compared to actually hearing the song. You can, you can gesture towards a vague genre of music, of course. Whereas in a movie, three seconds of spidery harpsichord music in a minor key and you're plugged directly into some atavistic sublingual part of the human mind. It's just so much more fucking powerful. 
Stephen King referenced rock lyrics all the time in his novels, and it wasn't cool or gritty or intertextual. It was just self-indulgent. And I say that as an admirer of Stephen King, as someone who grew up on his novels. I, I used to do it myself. You'd be listening to this song, and you'd start picturing a scene to go with it. Maybe one of your characters doing something awesome or emotive, and you'd be like, yeah. And you write it down, and you say that the song is playing in the background, or you quote a chunk of lyrics and... Yeah, I mean, the reader may or may not have heard that track, and really, at best, all you're doing is piggybacking on someone else's art, while reminding the reader that what you really want to be doing is writing a screenplay, but since movies are hard to get made, the book's going to have to fucking do. And faded into silence at the perfect moment is way too much. It's like having an action sequence where the narrator says, I axe kick the pistol out of her grip at the coolest moment. I realise the narrator is trying to be self-aware and ironic, but that doesn't give them permission to just go and do the thing without consequences. This is an unearned bit of knowingness. Having the narrator describe their vehicle as a battered silver car is also unintentionally filmic. They're in the car, but they're describing it externally as if this were a camera shot. It doesn't feel like a protagonist experiencing a scene. It feels stagey. I hope that doesn't all sound like I've gone completely apeshit at you for a first line. Security checkpoint is quite an interesting finish, or it would be if it had a payoff later on. The sun had just risen over the horizon. That's a good sign, I thought, as I rolled my window down. Maybe today won't suck after all. I, I take it this is supposed to demonstrate that the narrator is a hard-bitten cynic. Um, you don't need to specify that the sun had risen over the horizon. Saying the sun had risen is fine. That's what a sunrise is. It's like writing, hello, said Darren, out of his face. I do think that this is an alright bit of characterization, though. If, if I sound tepid about it, it's only because you don't really follow it up with anything substantive afterwards. But on its own terms, it's good. Hey there, Theodore, the guard on duty greeted me. Have a good weekend. Too embarrassed to admit I could never remember his name, I did my best to make the conversation brief. Sure, pretty good. He didn't raise the gate, so I endeavoured to be polite. So, how's it going with you? Same as yesterday, he said with a wry smile. And the day before that, and the day before that. I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing endeavoured, endeavoured, endeavoured. Who knows? Probably all of you except me. I'm sorry, Caleb, I'm just rereading that whole bit to demonstrate that it is as dull as balls. My mispronunciation may be the most interesting part. The characters are just making small talk about how they're bored as fuck. There's no tension. It doesn't matter that the characters know that they're both bored and being boring any more than it's okay to be ironically racist as long as you're wearing a t-shirt that says, guys, I know this is offensive. In fact, both cases make it marginally more offensive because we know the person doing it should know better. Characters are allowed to be bored, but they've got to be bored in interesting, specific ways. Ways that get them into trouble. Ways that froth and effervesce with sublime details. I feel like the guard here is too self-aware, too jokey. Actually, he sounds a lot like Theodore, your narrator. They're both falling over themselves to offer facts and details about their life that nobody cares about yet. And who am I guarding, he continued. Bigwig politicians? World-famous rock and rollers? Nope. Just a bunch of kids. Like... Maybe, maybe this kind of dialogue is acceptable in a very cartoonish slapstick kind of world. But even then, even then, Caleb, bigwig politicians, it's just such an obvious beat. He's listing cliches, world famous rock and rollers. I mean, do we even have world famous rock and rollers anymore? That feels like such a dated trope. And here's the thing. He's listing categories. If he named people, if he went, and who am I guarding? He continued. 
Barack Obama, Kanye fucking West, that would be a step up. It would suggest an era and a location as well, because real people tend to talk in specifics, not broad categories. Don't use the dialogue tag, he continued, by the way. He said, she said, or a dialogue beat. He continued just betrays the fact that even the narrator is a bit tired of this shit. I waited, but the rant had concluded. Yeah, I mean, calling it a rant just emphasises there was no reason for the guard to say any of that. You stuck it in for exposition's sake. He pushed a button and the gate began rising up. Again, rising is fine. It, it, it can't begin rising down or rising sideways. I wouldn't even bother with began rising up. The gate rose. That's fine. Cut. Fluff. I was about to floor the accelerator, but before I did, I leaned out the window. The guard shot me a questioning look. One, maybe you drive differently to me, but flooring the accelerator from a standing start in first is going to send him fucking peeling through this gate at an uncomfortable, aggressive speed. It doesn't make any sense from a character point of view either. He's just politely blustered his way through a conversation, and now he's like, later, asshole, and he's burning off in a cloud of smoke. Two, all of that's irrelevant because it's an imaginary action he doesn't do. So you spend 11 words managing an action that is entirely conceptual before we actually get to an action happening in the narrative present. That's messy writing. Three, why does he lean out the window, having been able to hold a conversation just fine from the driver's seat until now? Do you know how much of a hassle it is to lean out the window any distance if you're behind the wheel? It's an uncomfortable and involved manoeuvre. Not surprised that the guard shot him a questioning look. He's being weird. They're not just any kids, I reminded him. Forget the dire, I reminded him dialogue tag for a moment. This is a fucking great wham line, Caleb. Amazing payoff. Suddenly I'm so interested. All these possibilities just explode out of this one line. It's exciting, resonant, filmic, but it doesn't compromise the reality of your world at all. It doesn't make us regret the fact that we're reading it in a novel, not seeing it in a movie. It's not cheesy. It's actually quite simple, but it's bold, punchy, and you don't need a big build-up to this. Really, I think the dialogue needs to be about as half as long and the small talk needs to be replaced with something specific, character-driven, something with conflict, something that foreshadows the main plot a bit more. If Theo, your narrator here, is, is delayed by the guard, make it so that Theo is late and desperate to get through. Then there's tension. Really, we should have some problem from the first line, even if it's just a small one. It's obvious that you're having fun writing this opening scene. I don't want to swoop in like a curmudgeonly buzzard and start tearing apart its carcass, squawking about efficiency and narrative drive. But I recognise these problems because... To be honest, I'm super guilty of them in my own writing. This is exactly the kind of shit I pull all the time and I need to fucking stop. Because I love fleshing bit parts out. I love writing fun little back and forths. I love sticking in goofy jokes. Those things make me so happy when I'm doing them. And most of the time that stuff's all cruft that gets in the way of the story and alienates the reader. It's fun to write, but it's a bit wearying to read. It's like two friends doing a bunch of coke then debating their top 10 list of motivating tunes. I, I bet those two people would be super into that conversation. I do not think that the discussion would be quite so engaging to a third party who had to sit next to them on a train. Plot is your friend, Caleb. Your sober, charming friend. And that's it. If you'd like to submit your own work to the podcast, please go to my website, timclairpoet.co.uk and click the link in the show notes to read our submission guide. Please, please, please send your work in. Share the show far and wide. I love you all. I need your work to live. 
I do this podcast from home for no money. If you'd like to show me some love, buy my novel, The Honours. It's well, it's very different to what you might expect if you've listened to me swearing on this podcast and talking about poo a lot, but it's still good. Until next time, may your bathroom runneth over with Pokemon and may you remember to look both ways before running out into the street to catch a haunter.